Welcome to Arcade Attack. Retro Gaming Podcast for up to four players. Hi guys, Adrian here from Arcade Attack, and on today's show, I talk to a real Atari legend, Bill Raybock. Now, he has been involved in some of Jaguar's best and most respected games, including Doom, Wolfenstein 3D, Super Burnout, Atari Karts, and so, so much more. He's also been involved at Sony, working for the VM Labs and New One Console, and he just goes into such good detail and depth about uh, his past career, the amazing people he's worked with. Trust me, guys, you're going to enjoy this interview very, very much. So sit back and enjoy a talk with a real Atari legend. Okay, so on today's uh, Arcade Attack podcast, we have Bill Raybock. Now, he is a proper Atari legend. He's a proper, uh, well, he goes way back with the games he's worked on. He's worked on some real classics. So it's a real honor. So thank you, Bill, for joining us today. Oh, very good to be here. Really appreciate it. Um, I'll go straight into the first question then. Would you, would you be happy to share your earliest and your fondest memories of playing games when growing up? What was your first... Uh, sort of games that you, you got involved in or really enjoyed playing as, when you were younger? Oh, sure. Well, the there's there's probably two or three specific moments that that were really critical and kind of defined what you know what I, what I was going to wind up doing eventually, even though I didn't realize it at the time. Um, the the first was. Uh, in the in the 1970s, um, my well, eventually wife, but then then girlfriend had a um, her her brother had received a Commodore VIC 20 oh, yeah. for for Christmas holiday, and we we were in his bedroom at about three o'clock in the morning playing. Um, uh, playing a text adventure that was on a cartridge and I had figured out and we had gotten stuck. We had been playing for many hours and, and we'd gotten stuck and I had, you know, looking through the little manual that, that came with it, um, figured out how to use, use a peak instruction to be able to look into the cartridge space to find what exactly what strings this darn game wanted. Ah. And, um, um, but shortly after that, her father came in and was like, "What the heck are you still doing here?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. um, so, so that's that's kind of like moment number one. 
Um, moment number two is the first time that that my girlfriend, same same person, and this is what led me to know that she she was like the the right girl. Um, she was over at my house, and um, my mother was in the kitchen, and we're sitting down in the in the living room at our family's twenty five inch Magnavox TV yep. that had our our Atari twenty six hundred plugged into it. And my sister, who's 10 years older than me, um, my sister and I at the time had been competing for high score on Space Invaders 2600. Yep. So we had a sheet of loose leaf paper taped to the side of the TV with tally marks for the numbers of times we turned over the score and then the final score. Wow. And... Um, and and we sit, you know, my, my girlfriend and I sit down and, and I'm the gentleman and I let her go first. And she she has, you know, has her turn and it's over. And then I I start and I just got in the groove and I couldn't stop because you can't stop. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so my my poor my poor girlfriend, wife to be many years later wound up sitting in the kitchen for like over five hours chatting with my mother um, yeah. as I played Space Invaders. So um, so that, that made her a keeper because she actually put up with that. Uh. Um, and, then, and then the next the next big moment was actually at um, the Consumer Electronics Show um, Summer CES at um, at McCormick Place, and a friend of mine from high school, um, his neighbor ran security, one of the security services at McCormick Place, and he invited me to, you know, to to get, you know, kind of get hired as as kind of a day job, um, um, you know, running security cages and putting stuff in the cages at night in different you know, different companies' booths, um, and then, you know, locking it up and securing the cage. And, um, and, and we fortunately just by dumb luck got assigned to the Atari booth. And this was, I think when Atari launched space invaders. Right. And, um, and, you know, we were, we were kind of hanging around the booth and, and, um, and, and I'm playing space invaders and the, um, the one guy from Atari, whose name I can't remember, and I, I always kind of think that it probably was John Scratch, but right. I, I don't, but I really have no idea. Um, he had asked, "Hey, you know, wow, it looks like you're getting pre." Oh no, the first thing that had happened was they had said, "Hey, if if you want to keep an eye on the booth overnight, wow." Um, um, you guys could play the games, you know, we'll, we'll leave, you know, we'll leave this area of the booth, you know, powered up. So they, they let us play the, play these games during, during the night. And I got really, really good at space invader. So in the morning they said, well, if you want to go get cleaned up and come back, um, it'd be great if you want to just play it during the show because you're showing off the game. Right. Mm. So it kind of became a, a demo person you nice. know, for, for Atari back then. Again, not having any idea, you know, of, of what my future with, with Atari would be. Um, it's like work experience. I, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And and I I was I was an Atari fan, but couldn't afford one at the time. But certainly that kind of cemented it. Um, you know that wow, this is a really cool company, right? Yeah. So, um, but but and and to this day, frankly, Star Raiders kind of continues to be one of my favorite one of my favorite games because um, you know, especially playing it on hard settings, it has far more strategy in it than than it looks like at first blush. I mean, it's. I think we'll talk about Space Invaders XL later, but it's all kind of a bit full circle, isn't it, Bill? In a sense, is that fair enough? Yeah, exactly. That's amazing. Um, well, like I said, it sounds like you've got the perfect work experience before you actually started properly at Atari. So that's, I love I love those nice little stories there. Thank you so much for sharing them. All right. Um, how did you properly then get into the video game industry? What was your first entrance into the amazing uh, games industry? Well, I I had been a value-added reseller for Atari in Chicago. And the, I had, um, you know, my, my, my sort of history and in, in business was that during college, I was originally, um, a manager of, of a, a couple, location of a, um, uh, pretty significant auto parts store chain, yep. you know, working my way through, through college. Um, and then a friend of mine was in mergers and acquisitions at Amico Oil, and he was a couple of years older than me. And his brother, brother-in-law, was uh, was actually the the best man in my wedding. Okay. And um, and he had gotten kind of fed up with the you know big corporate world at at Standard Oil, and he bought a but he had he had, he had been you know amply paid. And um, he bought a Harley Davidson dealer in Aurora, Illinois. Um, did did pretty well with that pretty quickly, and then sold that to buy what was one of the largest, eventually BMW, Honda, Kawasaki, Suzuki dealers, motorcycle dealers in Chicago. Nice. And he he convinced me that that you know, Hey, come join me, you know, do, do this thing. And, and it was a very interesting kind of, you know, both sports store, you know, half of it was a sports store, half of it was a motorcycle store. And, um, but, but I wound up managing, you know, kind of, it wasn't even called probably it at the time, but I managed the computer systems there. Um, also wound up writing a pretty extensive, well, very extensive, um, parts and service, um, uh, insurance estimate system for the service department and the, uh, point of sale system for the parts department. Um, but through that, I wound up answering a lot of calls to a lot of the other local dealers and kind of became friends with the parts and service managers at, at those places. Um, and, and really kind of very quickly grew my own business of PC consulting and, um, and, and left that company to start my own, my, to start my own company. Um, but I was still an Atari fan right through all this. And even though this was the beginnings of PC networking with, you know, the original, you know, original NetBIOS and, Mm. and one of the networking uh, companies that I worked with 
was was a company based here in you know right here in, in Silicon Valley called Artisoft, and um, and I was doing networking when like nobody was really doing networking you know early days of token ring and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But um, but both you know Apple and you know Apple was out there selling you know the Macintosh as a desktop publishing system right, but yeah. it was crazy expensive, but everybody wanted to do it. And also the largest um, the largest app on PC wound up around that time being Ventura Publisher, which was also you know the price of Ventura Publisher, if I recall correctly, was like twelve hundred or fifteen hundred dollars, right? That's a lot of money. And, yeah, it was it was kind of crazy. And you know the big deal at the time was that you could put together an Atari desktop publishing system for a thousand dollars ish, right? And um, because of Atari's floppy format being PC compatible, even though Atari didn't have networking, um, I started for any of my clients that wanted to do um, that wanted to do desktop publishing for you know flyers and that kind of stuff. Um, uh, I would sell them an Atari system along with. A bunch of PCs, oh, nice. and then you know, sell them WordPerfect for the PC. They were able to take the WordPerfect documents easily and import them into you know either WordPerfect directly on the Atari and make it fancy, um, you know. And, and I sold like crazy amount of SLM eight hundred four Atari laser printers, yeah. right? And um, and and at the time, I started also working directly with Atari because I was signed up as a as a developer. Um, so, so Gail Johnson and Charles Cherry and all those guys that, that were at Atari at the time, I, I got to know and, and Jay Crosby and, um, and then the, 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 within the development community, um, with Atari, um, I had gotten to know, uh, Rick Flashman at Gribdiff Software, the, the folks up at MyGraph, um, that did, you know, a bunch of cool Atari you know, uh, Atari applications, um, uh, Kevin and Liz Mitchell were, were their names. Yeah. And, um, and whenever Atari would be in Chicago for a trade show, like the, uh, uh, corporate electronic publishing show and things like that, I would wind up loading them hardware and support, you know, and, and doing support and things like that for them. And, and, got to be reasonably well known in the um, in the Atari development community. Yeah. When, when Charles Cherry decided to leave Atari to go to the beginnings of Autodesk um, and and it was you know and and uh, what's his face uh, Tom Hudson who had done Degas, hmm. right? And um, and and CAD 3D on on Atari was also one of the first people, first uh, contract employees or first employees at, at Autodesk, and um, and I wound up getting a call one you know one afternoon from Antonio Salerno saying, um, hey, we've you know we're you know Charles you know as you probably know Charles Cherry left. We've been doing a search for somebody to replace him. And, and gosh, your name kept coming up, you know, would, would you be interested in, you know, in, in moving to <laughs> moving to Sunnyvale? Yeah. Um, and I said, wow, that's, that's a big, 
you know, that's a big change, you know, for me, you know, and, and my wife was a school teacher. I had my business in, you know, in, in Chicago and everything. So, um, uh, but he, he said, you know, tell you what, you know, why don't you at least meet with this, this new guy that is, is currently the, the president of Atari, Ellie Kanan. And, um, you know, let's, let's have a, you know, have at least have the conversation. So, um, I met, I wound up meeting Ellie at the Toronto Atari festival, um, up, up at his hotel room in, in Toronto. And he, he did kind of say that he, he hopefully was kind of considering moving the company to Boston. And I think it's, it's kind of well known in all the rumors of, of, of Atari maybe moving from, you know, from the West coast to the East coast, yeah. you know, were, were a possibility at the time. And, um, but, but ultimately he convinced me to, um, to come on out to the West coast and visit, you know, visit Atari, which just as a fan, I was pretty excited about, frankly. Right. Yeah. And, um, so, so we, we agreed to do that. And then my next trip was, um, to fly from Chicago to the um, Glendale Atari Fest. I did a tour of the show floor with Ellie, met Bob Brody, met Art Morgan and you know a bunch of the other folks. And, and, and the energy level was insane. Nice. You know, and, and just all of these Atari fans and, you know, and, and, you know, there had never been a big Atari show per se in Chicago proper. So really kind of seeing the amount of energy and meeting all of these amazing developers that were so dedicated to the platform more than anything else is, is what had me sold. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so then after the show was over, then flew to Sunnyvale, um, you know, and, and bless his heart. Cause I still stay in touch with him. Um, Art Morgan was kind of my, um, my, my guide yeah. to, to navigating the halls of, of Atari. Um, and you know, make what's been too long of a story shorter. Um, ultimately in February of 19 or, uh, so this was, this was September of 1991. Yeah. Um, I'm February of 1990. Ultimately, in uh, February of 1991, my wife and I pulled up stakes and took my my Volkswagen uh, Volkswagen Jetta GLI and and drove to uh, drove to California. Um, so you know that that was kind of the the whole transition. Um, when I first started at Atari, you know, Atari was was very still into you know into the Atari ST. Yeah. The, the TT was like the big thing at the time. And, um, you know, and, and Jaguar wasn't really even on the radar yet. Um, so what wound up happening, though, was was Jack Trammell, who who could figure stuff out faster than still to this day, almost anybody than anybody that I know. Yeah. Um, in terms of, of reading the market and everything else. Um he he had eventually said, "Hey, these Taiwanese PC clones are really going to kill everyone. It's going to kill Commodore. It's going to kill us. It's going to kill Apple. 
which all ultimately really kind of came true. Yeah, right? yeah, true, yeah. And and he he said, let's take one last run at at doing you know doing games, mm. you know doing another game system, you know. And and Sam Trammell was a guy who who really made links happen and kept links happening and and all that. Um, you know, which, which still, as far as handheld platforms go, was absolutely awesome. Right. Um, but you know, the Shiat day, even the Shiat day ads for links with the kid in the bathroom and, and all that are, are really kind of frankly legendary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, Jaguar was, was like the, the sort of last run and we all kind of went in knowing that, well, this is going to be it and we're going to have you know, we're going to have a blast, you know, doing it and let's go, go, go. So, um, that's really where I made the pivot into the video game side. And what wound up ultimately happening is the guy that they had hired, um, to, to sort of manage the third party side of things. Um, he ultimately kind of crashed and burned at Atari and we had a meeting up in the executive, you know, the executive, uh, boardroom at at the 1196 building and i was sitting on jack's right augie Ligori was sitting right across the table from me and jack was at the head of the table and it was very bizarre because kind of i i think out of nowhere jack looked at me you know he had said you know so and so you know has, has left the company we all know that he didn't do that good of a job blah blah blah, blah whatever and then he looks at me and he says, you know, I haven't had a discussion with this with, with anybody really. Um, but Mr. Raybach, <laughs> I think, um, I would like you to, uh, if, if you're, if you're interested, I would like you to take over the role of, of getting us some, some, you know, some more games. Wow. And I was dumbfounded. Um, because, you know, I, I, at the time I had felt, you know, Falcon 030 and, you know, getting directed disc recording systems and, you know, stuff like that for Falcon. Right. Yeah, yeah. But naturally because of Falcon, we also, you know, I was doing a lot of work on the gaming side with, with Falcon. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, and, and Augie looks at me and, and he says, um, uh, I, I think what, what, what Jack really means to say is you're the guy, <laughs> you really don't have any chance yet or something, you know, something like that, which was, which was pretty funny and everybody laughed and, and, and that, that was the big pivot. You know, it, it was really just Jack saying, Hey, go, go do it. Um, wow. so yeah, so pretty, pretty wild time. But you had no inclination that was going to happen. It just <laughs> on the spot. Yeah, I mean, you know, and and you know, and the thing was was that I had I had been helping out on Jaguar, yeah. but wasn't kind of in the thick of it. And less than a week later, um, less than a week later, I went up to Lucas Arts, mm. where Kelly Flock was the president at the time, mm. and I presented um, I presented the Jaguar CD stuff. Oh wow. And, um, and what wound up happening was, and, and I don't know if you remember, but one of the, one of the three or four Jaguar CD demos that we had was the video clip of Star Wars. Oh, okay. And, 
Um, and I said, Hey, you know, check this out. And they were really blown away. Mm. Right. You know, they, they, you know, cause we were using the Cinepak Kodak and, and all that. And, and, and in terms of video streaming on that inexpensive of a device, it was, it was pretty cool stuff. And one of, one of the guys took me on the side after we were, you know, after we were done having the chats, took me on the side and said, Hey, by the way, um, you've got to check out this new game called Doom. Oh, it's a great game. Yeah. And 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 it was um, Mark Hay Hutchinson um, was who was the lead programmer for Zombies Eat My Neighbors, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, Mark passed away a, a few years ago, but but man, he did me a solid. Turning me on to um, um, turning me on to to Doom, and then I I quickly I got back to the office and got in contact with with Id down in um, you know down in Texas. Yep. And um, you know wound up being put in contact with with uh, Jay Wilbur, mm. who was who was there at the time. Um, I stepped into it because I found out that Atari Chicago on Lynx had um, had had kind of screwed up a deal for Wolfenstein for Lynx with them. Oh, really? And as far as it was concerned, they Atari owed them money, wow. you know, for 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 a deal that had never gotten completely consummated, you know, and. Um, you know, and it was just one of those awkward kinds of things that you know that that kind of you know had happened in the in the latter days of Lynx, right? Um, but I said, well, yeah, that that's fine. Can I still come down and show you show you guys mm. Jaguar, mm. right? So I kind of talked myself, you know, in, <laughs> into that. Um, sat down, met John, John, you know, met John Carmack, met met Adrian, met John Romero, you know, the entire you know ID team. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and John was just smitten with, with Jaguar cause mm. it was kind of wacky. Right. And it was right up his alley. Um, the way that the blitter worked on Jaguar was, was almost perfect for running doom because it really wasn't 3d. It was, you know, this two and a half D engine yep. and this notion of a span blitter was, was pretty cool for him. And, um, you know, we we kind of right there agreed on the general terms, and um, you know, and, and Doom was my first big deal. You know, big deal for for Jaguar. I mean, what you know, which, what a game! <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was it was a good one to you know, good one, good one to land. That's that was the first that was the first proper game you worked on for the Jaguar then Doom. Wow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You oh. know, and then you know, and then I I did a tour of Europe. You know, the, well, mainly the UK, um, where I rented a Ford Mondeo um, and and drove from London up to the Midlands, out to Liverpool, um, and and Snake Pass Road is still one of my favorite drives um, <laughs> from from the Midlands across you know across going going west, and um, and that's when I had signed up a bunch of the other you know a bunch of the other titles out of the UK. Louis Duval, uh, you know, was working for me over in over in France, and he was the rock star that helped 
you know, uh, you know, put uh, put together those, you know, the deals out of France. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wound up meeting um, uh, Julian Merceron, who I think is now still um, CTO at Namco. Wow. You know, and I mean, what's what's really remarkable? Yeah. Anyway, it's it's, it's remarkable. You know, the the number of people that you know, you just dive in and go get stuff done. And, and the cool thing was, was that Jaguar, you know, and then of course in the UK is when I got to met, meet, you know, Chris and, and Jason Kingsley, yeah. you know, who, who, by the way, were already working on, um, you know, we're already working on alien versus predator at that point. Right. But, Another classic, um, yeah. yeah. And, and the, the stuff that was being done for this, you know, for, for this, you know, this, this platform was actually kind of cool, you know? So, um, yeah, so that's, you know, that, that was the, that was my, my baptism, you know, baptism by fire. We actually, um, I I spoke to James Purple Hampton as well, uh, a few weeks ago and he obviously was way, you know, really involved in Alien vs Predator. And uh, he, he said very similar things about, um, Sam Trammell as well. Uh, and did you ever work at all with James out of interest? Or oh yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Yeah, he seems he's obviously a real, real good guy as well. So now, I mean, between you two, I mean, you you put together some of the best games on the system. It's absolutely incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, and and the thing was was that you know the the overall time at Atari. Even my wife looks back on it with such fondness. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the the funny thing was was like when I very first started at Atari, one of the first interactions with Jack that I had was um, <laughs> was they had said, okay, you you need to go to CBET, right? And I, and I had just moved in February, you know, and and had my stuff, you know, all of my belongings and the you know the moving truck had not gotten to to California yet, right? Yeah. Yep. So I'm still in corporate housing. I am driving. Um, um, uh, I'm, I'm driving. Uh, what was the guy? The actor that was Fred rated from the Fred rated department stores. But I'm driving this this actor's Mercedes that Atari had taken back from him. You know. Yeah. And and I'm I'm, I'm told, oh, you're going to go to CBET. and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and you know, and I kind of like. You know, this is like a week or two before CBIT in March or whatever, right? Yeah. And and I had known a um, at, at the time in in the airline industry there were these things called bucket shops where you could get really good airfares. Yeah, you know, this is all totally pre-internet days and everything. Yeah. So I had I, I had a guy back in Chicago that got me a good good airfare on on Pan Am Airlines, nonetheless. Um. On, on like one of the last Pan Am rickety 747s probably that, that existed. And um, when the travel approval crossed Jack's desk, um, Jack called me up and said, who arranged this airfare for you? And I said, well, I did. And he said, well, what do you know about arranging airfare? And I said, well, I got a guy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and he said, I'm sure that, that this cannot be the best airfare. I said, Jack, it probably is, you know. <laughs> And so, so he has his secretary Kathy go and 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 say get you know go get the best airfare right yeah. 
so this whole this whole interaction with Jack took about 15 minutes. But during the process of it, he said, tell you what, if this is if you think this is the best airfare and it turns out to be the best airfare, um, I will I will also buy a ticket for your wife and she can go too. <laughs> if it's not if it's not the best airfare, you pay for it yourself since it's such a great deal. <laughs> and, I said, Wait, and I said, yeah, sure. Right. Well, little did I know that the, that, that ultimately was kind of a test. Right. Uh, yeah. And, you know, to, to test my result. But really, from that point on, I never, you know, in the, the roughly six years that I was at Atari, I never had a bad interaction with Jack. Yeah. You know, and and, you know, both he and Sam and, you know, and, and Leonard and Gary you know, from my perspective, were fantastic to work with and work for. Um, my wife ultimately, by the way, did go to CBIT. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the airfare that I had was was as good as I, I had promised them. Um, you know, and, and ultimately, you know, my wife also wound up working at... Um, at the shoot, what was the big show? The gaming show in London. Um, oh, what's it called? Um, uh, where uh, we launched Jaguar in in Europe. Um, oh, it's, it's escaped me as well. <laughs> it was that crazy? But um, but anyway, at that show, once again, Atari paid for my wife to go, and my wife worked worked the booth, you know, in in London. Um, at, uh, oh, what was it called? Uh, oh, there, uh, Earl, Earl's, or, Earl's the, Court. The big, Earl's Court, yeah. Earl's Court, so, and, and, and actually, uh, PlayStation debuted there also, right? Wow. PlayStation 1 debuted, and Kelly Flock was, was working at Sony at the time. You know, so, but, but really... You know the dinners with Jack and Bob Gletto, who ran you know Atari over in over in Europe. Um, you know, great times. So sounds like it. Well, wow, that's some pretty good, really good stories there. Thank you so much. Um, Doom. I mean, we can keep we can talk about Doom forever, really. But yeah. it's it, it's often regarded as probably the best console conversion of the game, and it was converted onto a lot of consoles, as I'm sure you're aware. I mean, did you feel a lot of pressure? work on that title i mean doom is so is one yeah, of the biggest but, titles ever but, isn't it yeah but the the great thing was nobody knew about it yet yeah right um you know the i had seen it when you know before it had shipped on pc yeah um you know the original doom was three 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 and a half inch floppy disks for for the pc that i think ultimately was published by gt interactive mm-hmm. um and 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 nobody really knew about it. And you got to remember that there was no internet. Yeah, right? yeah. So 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 news and pressure moved so much slower. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and um and the great thing about it was that that John Carmack really you know I, I think ultimately it was a love hate relationship with the hardware. But he loved the hardware and he wrote, you know, he wrote his own compiler for the platform and, you know, wrote his own, you know, wrote his own compiler for, for Tom, um, you know, the, the, the GPU and, and, and Jaguar ah. that, 
did, you know, that, that managed this whole code swapping thing because the architecture of, of Jaguar was basically that your code had to, for the code to run efficiently and, and as good as possible, your code had to run in the internal memory of the Tom chip. And you basically had to write your own cache manager to swap those chunks of code in and out and, you know, for, for execution. Mm. And, and, you know, my, my recollection is, is that really the development Achilles heel of, of Jaguar was that the jump instruction on, on Tom, you know, and, and frankly, I, I, I will give you this disclaimer that Leonard Tremell is the per- perfect guy to ask, you know, ask about this. But, um, but my recollection was that the jump instruction was broken. If you ran code in regular system memory and you jumped, you know, with, with, you know, either jumped from internal memory to external memory, when you returned to internal memory, you could land at an indeterminate memory location. And that was, that was the bug. So the safe thing to do was you would use the blitter to blit blocks of code from system memory into into Tom, mm. and then it would execute super fast in the internal cache in Tom. But there was no, you know, there was no cache tagging system or anything like that. You you had to manage all that. But John Carmack wrote basically a compiler to do all of this for him, so that he could focus on the game. Wow. And um, you know, so so Doom actually came along really fast. Um, was looking really, really good, and um, uh, uh, Taylor J- John Taylor. Oh, I feel bad. Um, but he he was the guy that did the audio stuff. Yeah, and ultimately, um, you know, ultimately had the very multi-channel audio for all of the sound effects and things like that going in the game, which on PC largely relied on, you know, sound blaster dedicated hardware. Right. Yeah. So, so that was all running on, on Jerry. And, um, but the best part of the entire project was the one Monday morning when I came in and, um, and I, I had gotten an email from, from John Carmack saying, Hey, by the way, here's, here's a little something. I, um, I had really kind of pretty much gotten doom buttoned up on Friday and I put a stack of CDs in my, in my CD changer and kind of worked through the weekend. And I, I think he probably didn't sleep at all for you know all, all Saturday and all Sunday. And he spit out Wolfenstein. Oh, wow. And it was not part, like in no way, shape, or form, was it part of the original agreements at all, right? He wow. literally did it for fun, 100% on spec, right? You know, like, hey, I'm going to take this weekend and just do it. And um, and then that Monday and Tuesday, Jay Wilbur and I figured out, you know, how much extra, you know, what we would pay for, for Wolfenstein. <laughs> but the weird part about it is given the fact that it was already done, 
Um, you know, I mean, it needed polish, of course, but but doggone it, that they were one of the best developers that I'd ever worked with. You know, and, and lo and behold, years later, still working with, you know, when I was at NVIDIA, working with Jay Wilbur at, you know, yeah. Epic and, and everything else um, was, was pretty, you know, pretty remarkable. You know, wow, so. you, you've worked with some proper geniuses, it sounds like. John Carmack, I mean, wow, that's incredible. Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, how come the the Doom version of the Jaguar version uh, of Doom had no music in it? Out of interest, was that because there was no space left, or do you know why? Yeah. Well, so, so number one, um, the music would have taken more cartridge space. Yeah. Number two, the sample engine. I th- this is a, this is a little bit fuzzy recollection, frankly. Right? Yeah. So so you know I I, I really should probably ask. Uh, um, Mr. Taylor about what, how it, how it all came to be. But my recollection was number one, we were cartridge space limited because there were a lot of textures in doom and the J I believe the Jaguar version of doom also wound up reusing some textures in some places that probably were missing a texture or two compared to the PC version. Yeah. Um, but um, the the other thing is is that the right way to have done the music on Jaguar would have been using the general MIDI synth on Jaguar, but I believe that Jerry was so busy running the sample engine for all of the different samples that you could have in a scene, you know, because you could have a number of different kinds of characters shooting at you. They had their own grunts and groans. Yeah. They each of the weapons they had had their samples, and then you also had, you know, you also had the the samples of your weapons going on. So, um, so I'm I'm pretty sure it was both a Jerry bandwidth and space consideration is is kind of my rec- my recollection on that. Brilliant. Um, just to help our listeners, obviously, when you're saying Tom and Jerry, they're they're the two 32 bit. Um, is it processing? Is that right? Six, they're the well. So, so Tom is the sixty-four bit. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's not. Yeah. Let's, let's not Let's do let's do yeah. the math. <laughs> yeah, but but you know, and, and the funny thing is that being said, you know, one of the one of the biggest frustrations, you know, frankly, from my perspective, you know, and I think even a lot of developers' perspective, was the you know what was the crazy press and and everything over oh is it really 64 bit right? yeah yeah you know the funny thing is is that you know years later you know you got nvidia talking geforce 256 right yeah and and at the end of the day um it it was and still to this day today right in the world of 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 heavy duty graphics it's all about the data bus okay. right the instruction bus is not the important part, right? And and it's really nice being able to have 64-bit or even 128-bit, you know, programming instructions. Um, but the the real question always comes down in graphics to how fast can you move data around, you right? Sure? And and the 64 bits of Jaguar was the data bus um, attested to the fact that both um, the development team at Eclipse as well as John Carmack um, 
were, you know, in the first prototype Jaguar systems that they had, the guys at Eclipse used to run their system with a glass of ice sitting on top of Jaguar. <laughs> really? Because, yeah, when you would, when you would, when you would clear memory and all 64-bit data lines of Jaguar, of, of the Tom chip, would swing from, you know, from, from one to zero or zero to one, it could draw like five amps. Wow. Which is, which was nutty. So, so <laughs> the, the crazy thing was, was when 3DO and others were like, oh, it's not really 64 bit. We're like, it is so 64 bit. Wow. It's painful. <laughs> you know? well, <laughs> so. I feel I, I love it. I mean, that's great. And I'm, I love the Jaguar. I always defend the Jaguar. And that's brilliant to hear from a proper, you know, someone who properly knows what they're talking about to really just lay it down there so thank yeah. you so much well and and the fact that games you know games like iron soldier and games like yeah like uh uh um you know like doom and, and wolfenstein legit were running on tom yeah you know and 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 you know leonard and everybody else used to say hey the 68 K is there basically to boot the system and do housekeeping, mm. right? And and the funny thing is, is many years later, the reality of um, the reality of of Nvidia's Tesla deep learning systems, right? Yeah. Well, the funny thing there is the Intel x86 is frankly there to boot the system and do housekeeping in IO, right? Yeah. You know, and and for all of the companies like Google and Facebook and others that are using GPUs in the cloud to do remarkable stuff, um, the x86 is kind of meh, just like the 68K was in Jaguar. Oh. I really appreciate It's so interesting hearing this insight. I mean... Fair play, um, What I mean, you've worked on some other Super Burnout, another classic. You've worked on some uh, Jagged CDs, is really you know good selection of games there as well. Do you have a personal favourite? Is there a is there a game you made on the Jaguar particularly or Jaguar CD that you think, yeah, this is this is the best I've, I've produced? Wow. Um, well, so so a couple of months ago, when I got my hands on. Um, when I got my hands on on the, I can't remember the company in Germany, but their HDMI interface for Jaguar, All right. <laughs> uh, which which the fact that this existed kind of blew me away, and that that people were still spending engineering time on Jaguar years yeah, later, yeah, yeah. I I felt compelled. I had to buy it. That caused me to to go into my storage. Uh, my storage and and pull out Jaguar, of course, when I when I got it because I if I had it, I needed to see it working. Yeah. Um. And and I will tell you, the games that I pulled out were, of course, Doom. You sure? Um. Pitfall the Mayan Adventure. Yeah, yeah. Um. Is is another one that I loved. Um. Valdesir skiing. Mm-hmm. Super Burnout. Um. And and you know what else I really liked on Jaguar was Cannon Fodder. Oh, it's a great game, <laughs> right? I mean, those guys had like you know perfect balance of of strategy, sense of humor, you know, everything else, and AVP. Yeah, yeah. You know, man, that's you know, a great game. I mean, you just listen, great games right. there. Yeah. So so you know that you know 
pretty cool stuff. But um, um, yeah, and and you know the other the other thing that was interesting with you know in, in the case of, of Pitfall the Mayan Adventure, um, the number of interesting people that were involved in that game. So John Spinelli was was the the lead producer at Activision for it. Yeah, that came that game came to be as a result of a meeting that Sam Trammell and I had with Bobby Kotek um, in Hollywood. Um, and, and it was great because I thought it was kind of a cool game, you know, and, um, and they, you know, they, they were doing it for Sega Genesis at the time. Yep. And, um, but the, the other remarkable part about it was we had sent, um, uh, Scott Martin Gershon, who had around that time gotten, you know, received the Oscar for the soundtrack for born on 4th of July, I believe. I think he won. I think he won the Oscar. Worst case is he was nominated, right? Still big achievement. Yeah. Yeah. Still big achievement. But but we sent a Jaguar and, and James Grunke was was the point guy interfacing with with Scott. And we sent Scott the whole MIDI development system. Right. You yeah. know, and, and the sample, you know, the MIDI sampling sent on Jaguar was was one of Leonard Trammell's babies that he did a fantastic job with. And um, um, and and Scott just jumped into it like with such ferocity and um and the soundtrack for you know i listen today and i've I've never frankly had a chance to to verify this with with scott but i'm pretty darn sure that ultimately the pc version of um the the pc version of of is it pitfall of Pitfall Mine Adventure actually had the soundtrack that Jaguar created. Nice. Okay. Because I, I can hear almost no difference. Yeah. And then naturally the, the, the Genesis version sounded really janky by, by comparison. Um, but the, the, you know, man, put that cartridge in a Jaguar and just listen to the soundtrack and it's, it's awesome. Right. And, um, um, so, so it was, it was amazing that, you know, man, these big Hollywood guys got involved in yeah. those kind of games for, you know, for Jaguar. Um, and, you know, and, and, and John was fantastic to work with. I, you know, continued to work with John and other companies afterwards. Um, oh, and oh gosh, the other, the other title is Mist. Of course, yeah. Mist on Jaguar was for the longest, longest, longest time the only actual true color version of mist because the, it was better than the Mac version and better than any other platform because we had gotten the original assets from, from Robin and Rand Miller at Cyan. Yeah. Um, and you know, Scott Sanders did the development. Yeah. So, so on mist, um, Vince Ampella, who went on to be the CEO of, of, uh, infinity ward, and and now is is the CEO of Respawn, um, you know, part of EA, was the was the lead tester for Mist, 
Wow. You know, so <laughs> so the number of people, I mean, it's, it is really incredible when you look at the number of people that were involved in Jaguar. And, and it's really kind of like the thing that makes me most proud of, of having been involved in Jaguar was, yes, it was cool hardware. It was, it was one of the last, you know, kind of weird hardwares that yep. were very, you know, hey, you had to dedicate, if you wanted to do a good game on the hardware, you had to dedicate to building the game on the hardware, yep. which is so different than like where PlayStation and Xbox is today because they're both just PCs. So kind of like who cares? And mm-hmm. and it shows in the games that are being made for it, right? Um, but but doggone it, the people that 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 contributed to the platform, like Chris and Jason Kingsley, like uh, Kerry Ganofsky and the guys at um, at High Voltage in Chicago, yep. that have gone on to be just freaking amazing, right? Um, you know, guys like Vincent Pella and Graham and, uh, you know, and everybody else, um, you know, uh, you know, purple, you know, James Hampton, yeah. right. I mean, holy cow, the, the people that, that were involved every which way, um, you know, Gerhard Langling and, um, uh, the guy that's now at, at a company called Sproing in the, in the UK, um, the guys from Miracle Designs that still are, you know, are, are in the game and, you know, doing amazing stuff for, you know, for, you know, as contract developers for so many Nintendo games and, and things like that. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty, you know, the, the legacy of the, the people that basically cut their teeth on Jaguar, um, that are, are really kind of the hot stuff in, in the business today. You know, oh, by the way, and John Carmack and company, right? Of course, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah right. Um, it's it's pretty insane. So you know, that's that's really kind of the best part. Brilliant. I mean, I was talking to like I said, James before, and he he basically said, if you could get a game made on the Jaguar, any game doesn't matter what it was, you deserve a pat on the back because it wasn't easy to program on, and it was you know like, like you're saying, but a, a really powerful machine, and I suppose learning. And making games in the Jaguar would set you up for, for anything in the future. Is that is that a fair statement? Yeah, I mean, to to a large extent, because um, you know, I mean, the, the bottom line is is that you know, Jaguar to a large you know to a large extent was basically all about shaders for one thing. Yeah, you know, and you know, and and my gosh, Jeff Minter was was the master, <laughs> you yeah. know, in, in that stuff, right? And um. So, so at at the end of the day, um, if you had done Jaguar stuff, when time came to do direct X eight and, you know, modern open GL shaders and and things like that, um, it gave you, you know, gave you very good experience, you know? Um, so, you know, and, and the other, the other cool part was, was it didn't have a lot of, you know, didn't have a lot of memory. It was a lot for the time. Um, but also the other cool thing about Jaguar was the fact that it didn't have any frame buffer and you kind of had this line buffer object processor thing going on, um, which was largely a forcing function to make sure that what you wrote was, was well optimized. Right. Nice. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, uh, guys like Scott Legrand who, who, you know, worked at Atari 
um, you know, had had done his his space war game for for Jaguar. You know, wound up being released after you know after Atari, but um, but Scott Legrand was one of the main guys at Nvidia hmm. that helped the original Halo get from 18 frames per second to being playable <laughs> on, on, yeah. on, on the original Xbox, right? So so you know, cutting your teeth on on Jaguar was was ultimately good for i think everybody that crossed paths with it brilliant i mean that so many legends have you just mentioned they've come out from working the jaguar it's absolutely incredible isn't it yeah absolutely Um, yeah it's really really fascinating but i need to ask you really quickly doom 2 i mean the first doom was excellent surely the jaguar could take doom 2 i know i think some homebrew developers have actually made doom 2 but did you did you ever personally start work on Doom Two, or did you ever see it being built before you left? Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think we did because I don't think I don't. Th- my recollection was that I, I didn't think that Doom Two, even at ID, had really been much more of a twinkle in anybody's eye sure. at the time. I remember seeing, I remember seeing the artwork and the 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 real world models for it. Um, but, but no, I, I don't, I mean, we, I, we certainly never got to contract or, or anything like that. And if it had been, if it had been at all because of John's, you know, ability to yeah, yeah. make stuff for Jaguar, you know, just divine it out of thin air. Um, we would have, we would have, you know, it, it would, it would have been a deal that would have gotten signed really, really quickly. Yeah. So, so I, I don't, I don't think so. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, your list of games you worked on is very impressive, but <laughs> again, I hope you not be you won't be offended now. But there is one game uh, which I don't particularly like: White Men Can't Jump. <laughs> I actually own the game. I've, I've tried to play it. I've tried to enjoy it. I just can't get into it. What what yeah. do you, what do you think about that particular game? Are you, are you proud of the game? Do you, do you think it gets a bit of an unfair stick by fans? What, what's your view? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, the the thing was, was we, I mean, so, so by the way, that was a deal that I did with Kelly Flock, okay. who had, who had moved from, he had moved from uh, LucasArts, and he was now at Trimark Interactive, and, and his, his head of BizDev, Gary, was a great guy. Yeah. We, the movie was supposed to be, you know, was, was going to be fantastic. <laughs> I quite like the um, film. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah, no, exactly. So, you know, and and um, and actually the guys at High Voltage did the development on it, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, and we were just kind of trying to do some crazy stuff that, you know, I mean, we, we basically, not even so much budget, but we just didn't have really enough time you know, there was, there was not enough runway in the schedule to to refine it. Yeah. And and the whole idea of it was to do kind of a traditional two on two, you know, street basketball game. Yeah. Right. You know, kind of in the in the you know in the the vein of you know Larry Bird and 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 those kind. Right. Yeah. Um. So I I don't fault any of us for for trying to do it but like i said it's just a game that really kind of suffered from not enough runway um so yeah and 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 frankly it's kind of you know the the two that always 
leave me scratching my head a little bit are white men can't jump and of course fight for life. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. Um, you know, and you know, and and fight for life. Um, you know, Francois Yves-Bertrand, who is the lead on that, uh, yeah. you know, had yeah. had come off of doing. Um, you know, he'd come off of doing virtual fighter. Doing is that right? Virtual fighter. Yeah. Um, but but that was another one that man, we just did not. You know, we we really and and I I certainly am happy to take you know take a lot of the hit for it. <laughs> you know, we we certainly did not um, we did not budget enough for it. Right? Well, wasn't and, wasn't yeah? Wasn't that the last game made by Atari for the Jaguar? Was that officially the last ever? Maybe, I mean, you know, I had, so there, you know, I mean, Atari still kind of, I wasn't there for the lights getting turned out. Oh, okay. Um, but, um, you know, like guys like Don Thomas, and I think even John Scratch, you know, certainly were there yeah. after, you know, after I had gone over to Sony already. And, um, but yeah, but, but yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing about, about that was, we were we were really trying to play with the big boys. Yeah. Um, Virtua Fighter was not fully textured, and we were trying to do a fully textured game yeah. on a on a system that that you basically had to do your own geometry for you know for your three D and everything else. And um, you know, I I mean, there are a couple things about it that are kind of cute, but um, but yeah, we you know, I mean. Other, other, you know, other companies would have would have probably cut the game off sooner. Yeah. Um, the fact that Sam, you know, he, you know, especially with Fight for Life, um, you know, that Sam was like, yeah, okay, you know, when we focus grouped it, um, it was kind of a, you know, it definitely was not one that would Metacritic it, you know, eighty <laughs> yeah. plus percent, right? <laughs> but. But there were people that thought it was pretty cool, and we wanted to, you know, we we badly needed a game of that kind of genre. Sure. Right. Yeah. Um, so it it was the thing that we, you know, we we had made the bet on, and and you know, Sam Sam Greenlit to to let it ship. Um, but but yeah, I mean, in in retrospect, on on White Men Can't Jump, um, you know, bless the hearts of the guys that at high voltage because they would have been able to deliver a better product given more time and yeah. they would have been willing to do it. And, and frankly, in the case of, of fight for life, um, you know, the game needed about three more artists, you know, yeah. and, and both, you know, both art and, and, you know, uh, animation, but the core engine for, for fight for life was, was actually pretty solid. Yeah. So, yeah, I actually quite like the game. I think it's got a bit of depth to it, like learning new moves and so forth. I actually quite enjoy Fight for Life, uh, personally. Yeah. But I can see what you're saying. It could it could have done with a bit more uh, ironing out here and there. Um, right. I, I love asking this question. I've spoken to quite a few Jagger legends, and I'm really interested to hear what you've got to say about this. Did you ever start work on any other Jag games that were never released? I mean, I hear so many stories about games that were pretty much finished, but never came to fruition. Have you got any unreleased games that you you don't mind sharing a bit of a uh, bit of ideas to to our listeners? Yeah, well, um, I, you know, I mean, like things like uh, was it Varuna's Forces? Okay. 
um, you know, was, was one of the ones. Um, and then, you know, I, I mean, I've seen in the message boards, a lot of them, you know, kind of talked about, it. I mean, the, the, the one that, the Jeremy Stiglitz and those guys were, were working on, um, you know, it's so funny cause I, you know, you make, you kind of make it a point not to get married to the, to the working title names. Yep. So, so it's, it's like, I remember the development teams better than I do the games themselves, you know? Sure. Um, the one that I would have liked to have seen gotten readdressed was, uh, was, you know, uh, Rob Zadibble had done such a great job on the Atari ST version of Star Raiders. Yep. I would, I would have liked to have seen a, a really good proper, you know, iteration of Star Wars done. Um, and I think Miracle Designs also had another game design after, you know, after Atari Carts and stuff that, you know, and Atari Carts, by the way, is yet another game that was actually pretty cool. I, I, I like the game. I agree. I think it's very well done. And, and doing, you know, doing mode, you know, doing mode seven, you know, mode seven emulation, <laughs> um, you know, in software was, was, was pretty awesome. Um, mode seven with hills, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like it. I, I've played it yeah. quite recently, and I think it definitely holds up against Mario Kart. And you could argue, you could argue it's actually, you could argue it's better in, in a lot of senses. The original Mario Kart, I love it. I think, uh, you, yeah, yeah, brilliant, brilliant game. Well, and those, the, you know, and 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 Peter Vermeulen and Philip Hauke from from Miracle, um, you know, continue to do a lot of Nintendo stuff, which is which is pretty wild. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so you know, in in the the, the thing again, the thing that you have to remember is is that I had left and had gone to Sony. Yeah. Um, and you know, I've I was already kind of well engaged there, so you know, uh, guys like John Scrutch and maybe Don Thomas would would be a little more familiar with. Was there anything still happening in the last vestiges? Right. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, obviously, you've worked at Atari for a long time, and I, I'm sure you agree it's quite sad how it all sort of ended there. I know, I know they're still around in a sense even today, but uh, how would you reflect back on Atari? I mean, how would you reflect your time there? Was it the best time of your life, would you say? Or? Yeah, I, I, I kind of touched on that a little bit earlier, and and you know i mean you know my 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 first son was born while i was at atari you know right? yeah. um and you know i mean you know he you know he he kind of learned to walk you know wandering around halls at atari you know while i while i was nice. there <laughs> um and 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 you know at the at the end of the day um you know man sam and jack um, you know, out, you know, certainly, you know, outside of business, but, but even within, you know, within business, um, you know, they, you know, there was so much heart, you know, with, with them and, and everybody else at Atari, you know, you look at the, you look at the pictures of the fake back Batmobile, you know, that are up on Facebook, right. Yeah. You know, I think everybody has seen those. Um, and you see, you know, the Atari employees that are kind of standing out in front of the building, um, you know, gathered around checking out stuff like that while we were working on, um, you know, Batman Returns or whatever it was for, you know, for Lynx. Yeah. Um, you know, those are not posed 
you know, those are not posed. Oh, look what a great team photos we are. Those are, you know, man, everybody that was involved, um, you know, was, was in there because they, they loved it, you yeah, know? Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that a lot of, you know, a lot of the, the sort of Atari, you know, employee mentality legacy carried over from even the original Nolan Bushnell Atari. Right. Sure. Yeah. And, and for as, you know, for as crazy as that is, you know, the, for as crazy as that had gotten, you know, and out of control when, when, you know, when Jack came in and, and bought the company and they were losing crazy money literally per day, yeah. uh, you know, and, and Sam and Jack and Leonard had to do, you know, the layoffs that they did and everything else. But, you know, the funny thing was, was that even, you know, years after, you know, my hiring guys like Jerry Jessup, you know, totally amazing old school Atari guy um, at Sony who, you know, who was, you know, and, and continues to be a rock star. Um, you know, man, the the legacy of, of you know, people that worked at Atari, I, I, I don't talk to many people that are, you know, that really say that it was horrible. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, I did, I did have, you know, did have a great time. Brilliant. I mean, everyone I've spoken to has nothing but good things to say about the place. I think, um, I think James said it was like chaos, but sort of so fun as well as I organized chaos almost like everyone helping each other and it's just a good atmosphere. Well, yeah, certainly. And not anywhere near like the crazy chaos in our White House right now. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. <laughs> um, what, what was your exact role working for Sony? Did, were you involved in the first PlayStation? Is that right? Well, I started at Sony about almost a year to the day after Sony had shipped in Japan. So it was, yeah. I, I started at Sony around the point in time that uh, PlayStation 1 began shipping in the U.S., and I had been I had I had been recruited for quite some time by Bernie Stoller to yeah. to leave Atari and go over to you know go over to to Sony. Um, Bernie had already successfully recruited guys like Joe Sousa and Scott Hunter um, and others. Um, and you know as as things were starting to wind down at Atari, um, you know it was it was kind of the right time. Sure. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, and and ultimately, I got hired as as director of R and D and developer support, and then um, very quickly, you know, and and kind of the plan from even the time that I was hired, very quickly after that, Takashi Asuki, who ultimately was the person that hired me. So I, while while Bernie had wanted me to come in working for him. Um, ultimately they had me reporting to Takashi who was really kind of on the hardware engineering side, one of, one of Ken Kutaragi's main, you know, right-hand guys. Um, um, Takashi had wanted to get back to Japan to, to get back with his family. Uh, Fair enough. And, you know, and, and Takashi was, was a, you know, was a great mentor for, you know, me at, at Sony that made me understand, you know, how, how Sony really worked and, and everything. And, um, and then Takashi, Takashi moved back and then I got promoted, you know, roughly three months after I started there to, to VP of R and D and developer support. Brilliant. Excellent. Um, you also worked at VM labs. Is that correct? As the vice president. Yes. And you, you helped work on a very unusual, probably more, even more mysterious than the Jaguar in a sense, the new one. 
console. Yeah. Now there might be a few listeners don't that don't even know what the new one is. Do you mind? How did this opportunity come about? And do you mind giving a little really quick background the new one console? What it was all sure. about? Yeah. So so Richard Miller, who was the VP of R and D at Atari, yep. responsible for you know for Jaguar, responsible for you know one of the projects that Richard had been working on was a C cube decoder cartridge that would allow you to play, um, you know, MPEG video, um, you know, instead of just, um, instead of just like the Cinepack software codec stuff that we were doing. Um, and you know, at the latter parts of, of Jaguar, you know, this whole notion of MPEG was, was kind of the, the big buzzword. Yeah, yeah. And ultimately that would become the basis for DVD. Yeah. Right. And, um, and Richard had start, you know, had spooled up VM labs to do this Merlin media processor, which was a, a media processor that would replace fixed function decoders like C cubes, MPEG decoder and Zoran's MPEG decoder, um, within DVD players, which barely existed, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, so, you know, at, at that point in time, what was interesting was there was like this war going on between Toshiba and Warner Brothers, you know, so Toshiba and Warner Brothers were the DVD guys and, um, and, and Sony, well, Sony and Sony Pictures, et cetera, were, were in the other camp that wanted to do, wanted to do disc media their way. Sure. Right? Yeah. And, and Sony Phillips basically kind of owned the standard for, for compact disc and Toshiba wanted to, wanted to assert themselves. And, and Toshiba had owned a, you know, a pretty good percentage of Warner brothers at the time and all that. So, so the good thing about what Richard wanted to do is he, this, this thing that he was going to build was going to be able to service either of them. Right. That's clever. And, and <laughs> I, right. And then the other big idea was by doing a media processor that was um, programmable, you know, fully programmable for whatever kind of codec. So any kind of emerging codec, it should have been able to handle. Right. Yeah. But most importantly, and the reason that I got involved was, hey, and by the way, when you're not playing TVs, you can use this horsepower to play video games. <laughs> it sounds ahead of its time, really, didn't it? Yeah. That's incredible. So freakish. I mean, in yeah. so many ways, so freakishly ahead of its time, <laughs> it didn't know what to do with itself. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, the great thing about it was that, you know, there were a lot of existing Atari developers that were interested in doing stuff for the platform. Um, I ultimately wound up doing a demo for Bing Gordon and others at Electronic Arts and uh, Nancy Smith and Linda Chaplin, who was the VP of BizDev at the time. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it was a little bit late, you know, because the, the funding wound up running out. And, it, and that was largely because of the the market collapse that had happened, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, and, and it was just like, nobody was going to get funding and, it, you know, the timing wound up being all wrong. But, um, uh, but, but the bottom line was, was that there was enough interest in the platform that I did have, I didn't have ink on paper, but I had like signed off paper for, um, Tiger Woods golf. Wow. And, um, and Madden football at what anybody would say were just unbelievably sweetheart deals. Yeah, right? huge, you know? huge names, um, yeah. 
Right. And Spider-Man wow. from Activision. You know, so, so Spider-Man was like the big hot thing coming up on, you know, on PlayStation and stuff like that cool, at the sure. time. Um, so, um, yeah, so, you know, lots of really interesting interest. And, and the funny thing was, was that like Samsung and Toshiba, even after uh, VM Labs had gotten sold off to Genesis Microchip, um you know, their DVD players kind of wound up hanging around on the market for a little while. Yeah. And it, it cracked me up because VM Labs was like done and put on the shelf. And there were a couple, you know, for, for almost a year afterward, um, there were still uh, Nuon games showing up on store shelves at, at Best Buy, wow. you know, which was pretty incredible. That is, I mean, it is a fascinating piece of history, isn't it? I mean, do you actually own a new one yourself still? Have you got one at home? I, I mean, not 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 running, but yeah, I, <laughs> I actually have. To, so I have an unreleased Samsung prototype still. Nice. Um, I think that I think that Kada Kada Aida, who you know still is in Nvidia, I think he gave that to me. Oh, cool. Um, and um, yeah, but you know, pretty pretty interesting stuff. And you know, per, certainly from a personal career standpoint. Um, having been able to work so closely with companies like Toshiba, yeah. you know, I, I was the guy that did the deal for Tetris that got bundled with Toshiba's DVD player. Oh, cool. Uh, you know, and, and again, kind of extending, you know, extending the legacy of, of Tetris to being the game that's probably been on every single piece of hardware except for a microwave oven. Right? <laughs> That maybe next year, that could be the next plan for next year, possibly. Yeah, exactly. Um, really quickly, Tempest 3000, Iron Soldier 3, Space Invaders XL, you had uh, your hands involved in three of those, probably the yeah. arguably the, the three best, or certainly up there, best games for the new one. Um, do you have a personal favourite out of those three titles? Oh, wow. Um, I think still probably Iron Soldier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the thing that was remarkable about Iron Soldier is is the fact that it was doing like 32-bit Z buffering before kind of almost anybody else, you know, right? I mean, there were so many interesting things about, you know, about that game. Um, and it, it played well, um, you know, so... You know, those, you know, and, and then, you know, I mean, my gosh, Tempest, you know, well, but, you know, the one thing that we haven't talked about is like Jeff Minter's visual light machine stuff. Oh, of course, with right? the Jack CD, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was so funny. This morning, um, my playlist randomly played um, the song Children by... Um, not Michael Oldfield, but the other guy. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But that was the first song that I saw VLM demoed with, right? You know, from from Jeff. Yeah. And and it's just like holy cow! Still to this day, some of the best you know best music to you know to video kind of stuff with with great beat detection and and all that. So. Um, you know, and and the, the the other thing about Nuon that's remarkable, and you know, looking at things like Nvidia Shield and Roku and all of the other kinds of digital sort of streaming things that are out there, or any Blu-ray player, yeah. um, the fact that Nuon could rewind 
in real time or up to 2x smooth backward decoding of of mpeg streams was to this day is is shocking you know yeah. and um you know and and the zoom you know i mean so uh what what movie was it um the one with elizabeth hurley and uh brendan fraser oh it's uh Bedazz- um oh, yeah Bedazzle. was it Bedazzle? Bedazzle? <laughs> yeah Right. I mean, so so like that actually had nuanced features built into the movie. Really? Know, that, that show. Yeah, wow. which was which was pretty cool, you know. Um, but again, you know, the, man, all of that was going on before um, all of the interactive Blu-ray sure. stuff. Right. I mean, it, it 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 really kind of set the stage for that. And what was remarkable is a lot of the people, frankly, that were involved in Nuon. Um, you know, I mean, John Matheson still is working at NVIDIA on the automotive side. You know, uh, I mean, man, the, the rock stars that came out of, you know, came out of Atari, continued at Nuon and still are doing crazy, amazing stuff today. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, you know, I'm proud to know these people, you know, so yeah. that's that's the cool part. Nice one. Um, really quickly then, before we wrap things up, a few last minute questions. NVIDIA, that's, that was your next step. Is that right, Bill? What, what was that like? Yeah, yeah, so I did a 15-year tour of duty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a long time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. W- were you out the games industry then? Were you moving away from games a bit then? and Or were, you, were your hands still involved oh, in games at all? Gosh. Yeah, no. I, so at NVIDIA, I was in the, I was still in the thick of, of the game side of things, and and basically the the big thing that I did at NVIDIA was I took the respect for the notion of how critical developers are to doing what you do. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, I, I in in one of the you know one of the talks that I gave at at, at Sony. I had said thank you so much for for making sure that we're not just building doorstops, right? Yeah, yeah. Because hardware without games and the hardware without developers is is a perfect doorstop. And when I when I started at Nvidia, you know, Nvidia and ATI and Intel and everybody else and their brother basically treated games like clip art. Right. Sure. It was, you know, the latest cool game was the thing that you stuck, uh, you know, you stuck a simulated image on a screen in, you know, in a Sunday circular. Right. Yeah. And um, and and what what NVIDIA was kind of trying to figure out how to do was be more relevant mm. and be more relevant at the heart of, of developers. And that's where and again, inspired by John Carmack. Um, you know, back in the day before there were blogs and stuff like that, John Carmack used to do his dot plan files and he would release kind of his musings on a regular basis and, and, you know, talk about the latest games that he was working on and his position, you know, perspective on the industry and everything else. And in, um, my recollection is like late 2000 kind of time frame. John had done a dot plan file where he had said, I, um, whenever I'm developing new stuff, um, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but yeah. when when I'm developing new stuff, I I if if my my code is not working right on NVIDIA hardware, I assume that I've got a bug. Ah. 
when when it's screwed up on anybody else's hardware, and he didn't use names because he was always careful. Um, whenever I have problems <laughs> on anybody else's hardware, I assume it's either their graphics drivers or their hardware, the hardware itself. Yeah. I it's like semicolon. I use NVIDIA as my gold standard. Wow, that's right? big praise, isn't it? Yeah, and my my perspective on it was that you know, and, I, and I've always been a a car you know car buff and racing fan and stuff like that. And and the bottom line is is you know using kind of today as a you know as a comparison, you know the Volkswagen Beetle with a 400 plus horsepower engine in it that is used for for rallycross is not a car that you buy at the dealer, yeah. right? Um, you know, the, the NASCAR cars that you see, you know, racing, making perpetual left turns are not cars. Those kind of stock cars are not cars that you buy. Sure. But the, th- the thing that struck me when I very, when I set foot in the door at NVIDIA was my gosh, the cards that we send to developers really are off the shelf. Yeah. Right? You know, they, are, yeah. they are the thing. And, and, and the funny thing was, was you got to remember my, back, my background at the time was also VM Labs and Nuon cool. and knowing the, how expensive the tools were that studios used to author DVDs and, and things like that, right? And um, so, so my perspective was really if you want to – and I knew that largely most developers were developing using NVIDIA hardware. Yeah, you know, yeah. GeForce time, GeForce 3, and, and early samples of GeForce 4, which would be the exact hardware that we eventually ship to consumers. And, um, and, and Jim Black, who now I think is at Magic Leap, um, you know, he was one of the guys that, that as we were kind of brainstorming what to call the program and, and things like that, um, he, he didn't come up with quite the exact phrase, but, but it was Jim, whatever Jim had blurted out at the time was the, the final inspiration for the way it's meant to be played, which everyone at Atari thought was too long of a phrase. I'm not, a, I'm sorry, not at Atari. Everyone at an NVIDIA. Yeah, yeah. And there's people at NVIDIA that are still there to this day that are like, wow, way it's meant to be played was way too long of a tagline, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but, but my perspective as a marketer is you say what you want to say and you say what you mean and you mean what you say. And, and the bottom line was, was that if you put an NVIDIA graphics card in your PC, mm. Pixel for pixel with the drivers and everything else, you would be on the exact same hardware that the guys that designed the game would be, you know, had developed the game on. Well, you, yeah, it, may, it, may, it makes you wonder why you'd go elsewhere, I suppose. Yeah, fair play. Yeah. So, so exactly. So, so the bottom line was, was that, that what we wanted was I wanted to put together a program that, that paid, you know, paid homage to the developers. And at the end of the day, um, for them basically on their boxes and in their games, and if you do like a YouTube search for the way it's meant to be played boot up, right, right you'll see a lot of the really cool things that developers wound up doing with the way it's meant to be played logo at the beginning of their games, kind of very similar to like what Pixar does with Luxo and, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah. 
And, 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 and in my mind, um, you know, and, and naturally the inner workings, people at NVIDIA didn't quite understand because it really, it really was all about, you know, developers saying, yeah, on the margin, you know, and, and, and here's the other important thing and, and the message that I would send to anybody doing platforms and anybody trying to do, um, you know, anybody trying to do anything with developers, um, what you want to be able to say is what would you recommend to your brother-in-law or to your nephew to play your game on? Sure. Right. And, and that was the, you know, that was the kind of impetus for my 15 year run at NVIDIA. Wow. Yeah. So that's a great, so, yeah, it's a great um, advice there and great, well, I really appreciate that, Bill. Some good stuff. Um, you know, if you're making hardware that, you know, if you're making hardware that is, you know, if, if you're developing on hardware and, and you're a, a manufacturer of a platform, you basically want to make sure that you're building something that the people that are making the games for it are going to say, yeah, this is, this is the best way to see my game. Yeah. Yeah. It makes, it makes more common sense, isn't it? When you think about it, yeah. um, you now work at cast AR. Is that correct? Well, I'm, so I'm working, I'm working with the folks at cast AR. Um, can't really talk too much about any of the stuff that's going on Fair there enough. because they, um, you know, they, they kind of ran out of their funding a while ago. We're, you know, right now I'm even just as a consultant kind of sitting back waiting to see, you know, what's, what's going to happen with that. One of the other companies that I'm working with is Game Face Labs, though, okay, who yep. are working with NVIDIA doing a standalone VR headset that's pretty, pretty fun and interesting. And, and certainly in, in the context of doing a lightweight, easy to get into VR, um, nice. you know, they're, they're doing really, really cool stuff. So I've got, you know, got a couple of different, you know, of those projects going on and then continuing to work with developers, getting them connected to companies like NVIDIA and, and things like that, because I still think that Android TV is a big thing, yeah, you yeah. know, um, you know, and, 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 you know, the, the video game industry, what's, what's funny is the video game industry beginning, you know, with interchangeable content, like a la 2600 is oddly older than the home video market. Right. Yeah, that's it's, amazing. It's the, right. Is it right? Cause it happened before VHS tapes. Right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You don't really think like that, do you? But you're right. Wow. No, I, and, and, and I think, I think about that painfully almost every day. And, <laughs> And, and what's crazy about it is that we are so many years into it and the video game industry is still, you know, interactive entertainment is still kind of this weird thing that the most that can be said for it is this weird political thing going on with violence in video games and yeah. the White House and stuff like that, which yeah. totally makes no sense whatsoever, right? I agree, yeah. Uh, but, but, but the bottom line is, is that the the world needs a legitimate sort of standardized platform still so that you know unlike in the mobile space you know the the sam you know man samsung changes model numbers and things like that every which way it's so difficult for game developers to to release a game for android even right, right. and frankly it's it's difficult to release a game for ios where where apple 
owns the platform hook, line, and sinker, but across different iPhones, it's difficult to get compatibility working and things like that because the platform holders break the platform constantly and all that. So, so one of my big, you know, big tasks still to this day is the quest for a solid standardized, you know, standardized platform for game developers to be able to concentrate on making games for it rather than fighting the hardware all the time. That sounds almost too too much too good to be true. <laughs> but I agree well, that, yeah, that... It, it, it is. It's but I'm but I'm the eternal optimist. <laughs> <laughs> um quick two last questions then and this question's going to be tough I'm sure but obviously you've been involved in making games and creating world-class games throughout your career but is there any what are your personal favorite video games of all time have you got like a top three uh that you just oh, that you, boy. that's a tough question isn't it yeah well how about okay so 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 the first game that will still come to mind um winds up being star raiders but also by the way wing commander oh yeah right? so, so wing commander is is in a lot of respects the kind of um, spiritual successor to Star Raiders, right? Whether or not Chris, you know, ever thought of that, mm. thought of it that way, I, I don't know, right? But but I gotta tell you, kind of in the same vein, my go-to game right now has been Star Trek Bridge Crew. Oh, okay. On on um, you know, it's it's I think one of the most delightful VR experiences that exists. And, and man, if it wasn't for the pain of having to suit up with, you know, VR thing on your head and, and all that, um, you know, so, so yeah, but, um, uh, yeah, I, I wind up playing so many games on, you know, on and off. Um, I, from a genre standpoint, I'm big on puzzle games and like Sokoban kind of style games, which is why why chips challenge and chucks challenge continue to be you know kind of go-to games for me yeah, yeah. um but um um but but then give me a game with a fantastic storyline and character arc like you know kind of i wouldn't say all the tomb raiders but yeah. man tomb raider you know uh tomb raider 2013 and rise of the tomb raider the original tomb raider one which i was heavily involved with with the performance analyzer at, wow. at sony um you know i mean i i love lara croft i did shots with rona mitra um <laughs> at the uh playstation party nice. um EC, oh by the way the the european trade show for games that we were trying to oh yeah, pick yeah. Up, ects <laughs> there you go we got um, it now but yeah yeah so I, I did you know with with rona mitra who is the original you know original Lord. tomb raider yeah Lara croft, yeah um you know, so so yeah, those you know, Tomb Raider and and my gosh, Zelda Breath of the Wild. Oh, that game is, is amazing. <laughs> it's it's as close to a perfect game as you could get. I, I right? put so many hours and, into it. I love it. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, I've, I've got like 180 something hours into it. Have every time I hear that they've released some new DLC stuff, I go back to it. <laughs> but the thing about Zelda is that it is a perfect game both for consumers. And and you can see while you're playing the game that from a development standpoint, oh, yeah. the architecture of that game is just built so beautifully to mm. be able to release a game and release a game on time. You know, <laughs> so I, I I'm I'm in awe of of that game and the development team. I, I have and to then, agree. Yeah. 
And then the other shout outs that I have to give is practically any game built by that game company. Um, so journey, I've got, I've got the original concept art of journey of, uh, of, um, flower that hangs above my, above my, my fireplace. Cool. And I've got original concept art that I won in an auction that's hanging above my piano from journey. Um, and those games also, you know, I mean, man, anybody that played journey on, you know, on, on PlayStation and the moment they realize, holy crap, that's actually another person, you know, right? <laughs> I'm going to have to um, try it out. I'm, I haven't actually played journey. I'll try, I will play it. Oh, sorry about that. Spoiler. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> but um, yeah, so yeah, those that yeah, I that's that's kind of where my my head's at. When if you if you hold a gun to my head and tell me I gotta tell you what I like. Bill, it's been a real pleasure. I mean, I, I really do appreciate you going to such depth and some of the stories you've told are, are fascinating, mind blowing, and I, your career has just been wow. So many highlights. It's absolutely incredible. Um, we ask all our guests, whether it's a text uh, interview or a, a podcast interview. Um, you kind of answered already, actually, because you, you said you had a drink already with Lara Croft. But if you could go with a drink with any other video game character, who would you choose and why? Oh wow! Um, well, I mean, you know, in the vein of in the in the vein of Lara Croft. Um, you know, Drake, right? I, I mean, yeah. I, let me be Michael in the, um, you know, in the PlayStation commercial, right? <laughs> you know, I, I want to hang out in that bar, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but, um, you know, or or Mark Hamill from Wing Commander. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> right? it's a great choice. That's a great yeah, choice, so. actually. <laughs> oh, Bill. Look, thanks so much. I uh, really appreciate your time. And, um Thanks so much for yeah for sharing so many great stories. Thank you, Bill. All right. Very good. Thanks so much. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get in touch regarding this week's episode or anything else, you can tweet us at Arcade Attack UK, at Keith Barlow82, and at Arcade underscore Adriano. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Arcade Attack UK. Please check out our website at arcadeattack.co.uk for lots of retro gaming goodness, interviews, reviews, features, top tens, etc. And you can also find all our previous podcasts there. Our podcasts are available to stream from the website and are available to download for free from Stitcher, Podbean and iTunes, where you can also leave us a review and a rating, which we would really, really appreciate. So until next time, take care and we'll speak to you soon.